Hello and welcome back to the Canadian Money Roadmap Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Newfeld. Today, we are talking about interest rates and what that means for you and your investment life and your debt. Well, after a brief hiatus, I'm joined again by my co-host and colleague here at Enzyme Baxter Wealth Management, Jordan Arndt. Thanks for coming back. Uh, thanks, Evan. Thanks for having me back. All right. So as we mentioned in the intro there, we're going to be talking about interest rates. The main reason that this is coming up today is because, well, you're going to be listening to this afterwards, but um, as we record here just this week, the Bank of Canada raised interest rates by 0.5%. That's the biggest one-time increase. I think it was like 20 years. And so this is a pretty big deal. And so we wanted to have a conversation today about what this actually means for you. So Jordan, start us off. What is one of the main things that happens when interest rates increase? I think one of the main things that happen is that you will see that trickle down to the debt that you might have. So perhaps you have a mortgage, perhaps you have a line of credit. As the Bank of Canada raises their target interest rates, you might see then your bank, perhaps RBC or whoever it is, raise their prime rate in accordance. Typically, I think that happens a day later or a couple of days later. There's a bit of a lag time, but not very long. And so you might see that on your your personal your personal debt that you have. Yeah. So the prime rate is just the general rate that banks will lend out money to to you and I, or specifically people with spectacularly good credit. Generally, your uh, interest rate will be a multiple or an addition to prime. So often you'll see things like prime plus one, prime plus three, five, whatever it is. But prime is just kind of that base rate. And the base rate of prime is generally determined based on the prevailing interest rates that the Bank of Candace uh, sets. This is called the overnight rate. We're not going to get into that because the mechanics of it are a little bit convoluted and not really worth explaining here on the podcast necessarily. But when the Bank of Canada increases interest rates, generally banks will increase their prime rate, which means that if you have debt, particularly on a variable rate situation, your interest rate will increase along with it. So trying to give a couple examples there of mortgages and home equity lines of credit. Sometimes we call those a HELOC as an acronym there. Give me an example here. What what does this mean for someone who has a typical balance on a HELOC? Yeah, so let's say with a HELOC, let's say it's a variable rate tied to prime, for example, again, let's say you have a hundred thousand dollar balance on that on that HELOC. A 0.5% increase which again is what the, the target rate just changed by, raises your annual interest payments by $500, which is about $42 a month. Yeah. So it's not huge necessarily yet. Like this isn't hopefully going to mean the difference between you keeping the roof over your head or not. or not. Yeah, but 42 bucks a month, that's a lot. I'm sure you've had or canceled subscriptions to uh, video streaming things or whatever that has been significantly less than that. Yeah, it's significant. And, and not that we want to get too much into speculation, but it sure seems that the prevailing news is this isn't the last rate increase right. for the year. So it's $42 a month this time. And you know what, what will happen in the future, I guess, something just be cognizant of. Right. The fun has just begun. But unfortunately, so, okay. So now variable rate mortgages, mortgage calculations are a little bit different and there's a little bit more competition there and there's a bit more forecasting that goes into the rate. So mortgage rates aren't necessarily tied to prime directly. So if you have a variable rate mortgage, yes, you can hang your hat on the fact that your interest is going to go up. 
But with most variable rate mortgages, not all of them, but most of them are actually set up to just change your amortization, not your monthly payment. So what this means is that every payment you make, more of it will now go to interest instead of principal, which is the original amount that you borrowed. So in a variable rate mortgage, many people will just have to pay longer to account for it, but their monthly cash flow won't necessarily be affected by it. So that's okay. Like it won't necessarily change how you live month to month. But if we're looking year to year on a 25 year mortgage, dragging out those payments can be a bit of a pain. I think you make a good point, Evan. It's probably prudent to understand the the terms of your mortgage and exactly how that's structured just so you can understand. Yeah. Like maybe the the rates are going up and it doesn't seem like it's affecting you because the mortgage payment out of your bank account was the exact same as it was last month and it was for however long before. But yeah, be aware if that is extending your amortization period, it, it, it will take you longer to, uh, to pay that off. Okay. So what about a fixed rate mortgage or a fixed rate loan or something like that? Generally speaking, those aren't going to be affected because that's the benefit of the fixed rate, meaning you know what you're going to pay till the end of your specified term. So if you've got a mortgage that's locked in, I call it 2.8%, until the end of your five-year term is up or whatever length of term you have, you know what you're going to pay and you know how much is going to go to interest and how much is going to go to principal. That is fixed. However, what happens when you have to renew? Yeah, then you're you're at the mercy, I guess, of whatever the lending rate is is at that time. I think the term length in that case, or how much longer you have until your term is expired, is kind of the important piece of that. If it's maybe you just renewed and you have five years until that renewal comes up again, that's probably different than if your renewal is six months from now and and uh, just the way that interest rates are going, because you will be paying that new or your new borrowing cost will be at that new rate. Yeah, it could potentially. Um, leapfrog your expectations. So if you've been paying 2.8% on a mortgage for a while and your term is about to come due, you might be in for a rude awakening. Unfortunately. Okay. What about new debt? So if you are taking out a new loan of some type, generally speaking, those are going to be much higher as well. So whether it's variable or fixed, because interest rates have gone up, your new debt will also go up accordingly. So this comes back to the prime rate again. So when you take out a new loan, oftentimes it'll be reflective of the prime rate. But Jordan, can you put in context for me here? Like, okay, so prime is what, 3.2% as we're recording this now? 3.2 here today. Yeah, it's it's interesting to look at that in the context of of history. Um, You know, sometimes maybe we say historical too often, but these have been historically low rates as of as of very recent times. So prime rate has been, I think it was as low as 2.45 here kind of over the last year and in 2021. Historically though, that's that's incredibly low. If we you know, let's just go extreme here in in the early nineteen eighties, nineteen eighty one prime rate was twenty two point seven five percent. That's like credit card rates are worse. It's crazy. Significantly higher than two point four five, that that's for sure. All through the 80s, it's going up and down, but it's anywhere kind of between 10 and 14%. And that's kind of slowly trended downwards from there. Through the 90s, it was, you know, into your 8 7%. And then, in uh, you know, ever since 2008 and the global financial crisis, rates have been quite a bit lower, kind of in the, the two and a quarter to about 4% max prime rate. So, you know, looking very, you know, for us today, that feel this feels like it's going up and it's getting higher, and it it is given recent memory. But broadly speaking, historically speaking, they're still quite low in the grand scheme of things. 
yeah. So rates are, are quite low, but the problem is that Canadians and Americans and most developed countries have got gotten used to cheap money or cheap borrowing. And so those with high debt loads personally, or even companies too, this is going to get ugly potentially, right? As a potential, it goes back, we were talking on a, a podcast a couple episodes ago about the price of housing in comparison to uh, household income. And, and, you know, 20, 30 years ago, that was about three times household income as of the average Canadian home price. And we're up closer to six, seven, eight times now. And so you think about that and it's okay, sure, interest rates are, are low, but as they go up and maybe your house is a little bit more extended borrowing costs compared to your, your household income, that that puts a pinch, I think, on the on the typical consumer. Right. And I always take a look at the uh, the compound interest conversation around this time. I don't like the term compound interest when it comes to investing because generally, here's my beef. I'm going to go on the rant here. It's not interest, people. Generally speaking, the thing that compounds is your growth. Generally, that's capital gains. It could be a variety of different things, but interest is a specific payment. Interest is money received. Sometimes your investments will increase in value, but it's not actually a payment of money in your pocket. So I like when we're talking about investing, I like to use compound growth. But when we're talking about debt, Jordan's laughing at me here. When we're talking about debt, compound interest is the thing because that is what you are paying. You're making a specific payment. But now, and rant over, compound interest works against you when you have debt. So the longer you leave it, or if you're just making minimum payments or things like that, these things can really, really start to pile up. So this begs the question now of should I invest or should I pay off debt? How does that conversation change now? Yeah, it, it definitely shifts as as interest rates, borrowing costs go up. The argument of, wow, we should be investing instead because rates are so low. I think that starts to change a little bit. That debt you hold is becoming increasingly expensive to maintain. You know, look at our previous example there of the, the home equity line of credit. 500, this 0.5 increase on a $100,000 balance, $500 a year. It, it's real money. Let's take an example of a variable rate mortgage here. 400000 nothing too, too crazy. This 0.5% increase will add $2,000 to your annual interest cost. So if this continues to, if rates continue to go up, kind of as they're, they're talking about, this has the potential to add thousands of dollars to your annual annual costs. We can then compare that to investment rate of returns. By no means, you know, we're not speculating here, or forecasting or giving any guarantees there. But recently borrowing costs have been so low that it, it, it it was a prudent choice, I guess, to to invest rather than save, depending on your situation. And, and you know, it always depends. Um, but as borrowing costs rise, I think that argument maybe starts to change a little bit as your debt becomes more expensive. And, and you think about, okay, what rate of return can I reasonably expect to get from an invested portfolio? For sure. And my point on this, I feel like we should do an episode or two or three on this topic. But when people ask me, should I pay off debt or invest? I always say, yes. Because doing both is good for different reasons, right? Because it all depends on your timeline. Say, what if your debt payment disappears? Well, then the value of that money that you put towards it largely is uh, the value is now known. Whereas if you're investing for the next 40 years, well, okay, so each a dollar put in each place has a different lifetime value, especially if you're paying off debt on a depreciating asset. Right. So the lifetime value of that dollar is going to be very, very different. Now, when interest rates have gone up, 
the conversation changes a little bit more. So I still recommend a both and, especially if your timeline is long for investing. But if there's a psychological component to the debt for you, which there is for most people, I think it becomes a lot more compelling to say, maybe don't do all your eggs in the, the debt basket necessarily, but maybe do a little bit more because it'll feel that much better for you. I think too, it's, we've said it before and I think it's worth saying it again. It depends on what your debt is. If this is credit card debt or something with 20% interest, pay it. It's not a, it's not a either or I don't think in that case, like you need to nip that, that debt with, with significant interest rate costs on it, nip that in the butt and, and get it out of there. But yeah, when we're thinking about maybe student loans, car loans, even, and certainly, certainly mortgages or line of credits tied to prime rate, I think you make some great points there. Okay. So you asked me this question off air here and it's really good. Maybe we should have led with this, but what if you don't have any debt? What if you've paid off your mortgage? What if you don't have anything? Why do you care that interest rates have gone up? Yeah. It's a good question. Yeah. You know, it's maybe, maybe you're listening to this and maybe you don't have the mortgage anymore. Maybe you don't have any line of credits. And and so there's all this talk of interest rates out there, but do I really care? I think the one thing that jumps out to me immediately, and you know, this isn't an economical answer by by any means, but there's a good chance your kids have debt or your parents have debt or your siblings have debt or whatever situation there is. So maybe this isn't as tangible and real for you, but it, it likely is for someone who's important in your life. And it, and it makes a difference. You know, maybe your kids are thinking about getting into their first home, but home prices are expensive and now borrowing costs are going up and how do we make this work? And so you might be Maybe you aren't being directly affected by it, but you might be hearing about it through through some other channels. So I think that's one reason to care. How about you? Do you think, let's say you don't have any debt, do you think, should I care about this news about rising interest rates? Well, the thing that I think about with this is if you don't have any, any debt, I would assume that you're also an investor. So you own stocks or bonds or many other things too, but... How are those affected by rising interest rates? Well, the interesting thing with interest rates is that they generally directly impact bonds. We've talked about this a little bit on the podcast before, but as a refresher, as interest rates go up, the value of existing bonds goes down because say, for example, I own a bond that pays 2% a year. And now because interest rates have gone up, I could buy a new one from the market that pays 4%. Jordan, you're buying a bond. Do you want my I don't want yours. You you don't want my lousy no. 2% bond. You can just go to the market and buy a 4% one. So what I have to do now is discount my bond to make it interesting for people. So existing bond values decrease when interest rates go up. So if you're currently a conservative investor, so one that would own lots of bonds, this has not been a good time for conservative investors. Rising interest rates are certainly a headwind for the bond market here. It is. It has not been good at all. So then with stocks, it's less of a direct connection, but more of an opportunity cost. So say, for example, I have a bunch of money that I want to put to work, and now I can buy a bond at 4 or 5 6%, whatever the case may be, whereas before I had to take on a bunch of risk in the equity markets to get that five, six, seven percent that I was hoping for. So now if I can get a better return with less risk in the bond market, why would I go buy go buy stocks? I'm being facetious here, but that's where certain stocks, particularly the ones that were very, very expensive 
And as we've seen, those were kind of like the tech stocks and more speculative names, like the some portfolio managers call them not-for-profit <laughs> stocks because they're just more of a science project or an idea or things like that. Who wants to pay for that? No one's paying for future growth right now. So the things that have looked really good are the old boring businesses that pay dividends. We call them, some of them value companies, things like that, because there's a little bit less speculation baked into the price. So when interest rates go up, the really expensive stocks take a haircut. And so because a lot of the really expensive stocks were driving the returns of the broader market, the market as a whole kind of gets dragged down in this current environment. You can't look back at history and say every time interest rates have gone up, stocks have taken taken it on the chin. But generally speaking, that just makes sense because of the trade-off that now exists, right? So if there's a good alternative for my dollar, your dollars will start chasing the best alternatives at the lowest risk. This is something that's a little bit more theoretical and takes more time to play out and things like that. But because of these fluctuations in values of both stocks and bonds, when interest rates go up, you can bet that markets are going to be bumpy. That doesn't mean negative, but you're going to see some relatively large swings in both directions. And you can also assume that equity markets are going to have lower average returns than they have in the past because debt is more expensive and alternatives are paying more. So if you're telling me bonds are going to suck and equities might suck, where am I putting my money today? That Yeah, that's the million, billion, trillion dollar question, of course. But OK, let's just put this in the context of fixed income now. So now that bonds are paying a higher coupon rate, that's better. Like if you're wanting to make money with fixed income, at some point you have to have a higher coupon rate or else you're not going to be able to make any money. So this is a short-term pain, long-term gain situation with with fixed income or bonds. So yeah, eventually you have to have interest rates going up or else you'll never make money again from fixed income. Also, when interest rates go down, existing bond values go up. The opposite of what you started with is now true. Exactly. So now in a higher interest rate environment, fixed income, looking off into the medium distance future here, and depending on the duration of the bond, you know, you can have one, two, five, 10, 30, 40, 100 year bonds, depending on your duration. These things are all relative. Bonds are a bit more of a math exercise because of all these things that you can calculate. But interest rates eventually have to be higher to have any hope of making money from fixed income investments. So I'm not calling this all a bad news story. And then with with equities, yeah, those hyper-speculative names that weren't making profits, eventually, this is kind of what we call a correction because that's not correct necessarily if you're thinking or assuming that a company's stock price should be relative to earnings. At some point, you got to make money. And the value of your ownership should be reflective of the profits that that company makes. So if people were overpaying for it before and you've got more money to invest now, now you're just getting a better deal. There's lots of great companies out there that are now just cheaper than they were before. So where are you going to put your money? If you're a long-term investor, you still have options, but you're just going to be riding a bit of a nasty wave in the meantime while the market kind of sorts things out. But that's the price of admission. You can't expect returns without any sort of risk. This is risk, right? Because it's it's the short-term negative outcome for a potential long-term positive outcome. 
I don't know if I was answering. Stay the course. Yeah, stay the course is a really good option through this. If you have cash flow, if you're employed, if you have money to invest, keep investing. This isn't a, a boogeyman stay out of this market, but this episode was hopefully trying to explain a little bit more about what you can expect in a rising interest rate environment. Let's recap. When interest rates go up, your debt gets more expensive, especially immediately if you have variable rate debt, like a home equity line of credit and a variable rate mortgage. If you have fixed debt, you're in luck because your payments uh, will largely stay the same. Uh, But when you renew or if you take on new debt, be prepared to take that at a much higher rate than before. As we talked about investing versus saving the the debate of where should we be putting our dollars, that starts to shift as interest rates go up and your borrowing costs go up. So just kind of as Evan mentioned, it's still maybe a, a good idea to, to do both depending on your timeline. But just just think about your your expected rate of returns and, and compare that to now your, your borrowing cost. Jordan, this wasn't really a, a touchy-feely episode. No, I don't. Uh, Not a lot of sunshine and rainbows glum. here. Yeah. It's a cloudy day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, there's always this bit of a silver lining depending on where you want to look. There's never going to be a situation where they raise interest rates um, because the economy is doing poorly. This is a situation where things look good. And so they want to make sure that the economy doesn't run too hot and we try to get in front of inflation. You can go back and listen to our episode of inflation. So this isn't all bad news by any means. It's also not all good news either. This just is part of a healthy economy. This isn't a problem that is trying to be solved necessarily. This is really common, but because everything is a moving target, the Bank of Canada reacts to what they're seeing. So we don't know where we're going to go from here, but we probably anticipate a few more interest rate hikes going forward. And uh, what we heard on the episode today should continue if that if that keeps happening. So anyways, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. If you do have questions or anything like that, feel free to shoot me an email. I've got my contact info in the show notes. If you're new and you haven't heard our podcast before and you thought it was interesting, please share it with a friend. We'd love to, to spread the word about the podcast here. And if you want to follow along, hit that follow button or subscribe on the podcast player of your choice. And hopefully we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Canadian Money Roadmap Podcast. Any rates of return or investments discussed are historical or hypothetical and are intended to be used for educational purposes only. You should always consult with your financial, legal, and tax advisors before making changes to your financial plan. Evan Neufeld is a certified financial planner and registered investment fund advisor. Mutual funds and ETFs are provided by Sterling Mutuals, Inc.